and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Escaros. Rosalind Goforth and her husband Jonathan were missionaries to China in the late 1800s and the early 1900s when the Boxer Rebellion arose. If you remember in your history days, the Boxer Rebellion was actually a violent uprising against all foreigners in China. And the Goforths just narrowly and pretty traumatically got out of the country. They escaped to Shanghai. And they were hidden in a tiny, empty little shack until a ship was able to get them out of the country and to safety. Now, while it seems like a relatively insignificant issue, clothing was a considerable problem to the Goforths because when you flee a country with no warning and you basically run with only the clothes on your back and there's no place to just go run to the store and buy some clothes, you have a problem, especially when you have young children in hand. Rosalind was very, very concerned about her children, especially because some of them were basically only wearing rags that they were given by some of the Chinese on their way out of their home. She writes, how could I, without materials, without a machine, get an outfit made for even one and the ocean voyage that lay ahead? Alone with the baby one morning, I cast myself down by the little one and cried again and again to the Lord to send someone to help me. My distress was great. Help I must have, but I knew no one to whom I could turn. Then suddenly, while I was praying, the doorbell rang. On opening the door, I found two women outside. They introduced themselves and told of having seen our names among those of the refugees. They were in charge of a Chinese girls' school, but on account of the boxer troubles, all the girls had been sent home. Then they said, we have nothing to do and thought you may need help. So Rosalind proceeds to tell these two women her story and how she had just been praying and how she knew that God had sent them. They wept together, they prayed together, and these two women ran off, got materials, and together they worked and made clothes for the children, rejoicing the entire time in God's answers. What an incredible blessing. And yet somehow in the bustle of all of their work, the little tiny baby of the Goforths had been forgotten. For some reason, they had made clothing for all the children, but the tiniest of the children didn't have any clothes made. And the day came when they finally got passage onto the boat. So she grabbed some materials to try to make something for him by hand to wear. And you might imagine that the ship, it would be cold. She was concerned, again, that he had no clothes to wear. And she writes again that the most beautiful proof of God's overshadowing care came to her on the boat. She was trying to sew for the baby by hand, but from fear of running, from her exhaustion, her hands were trembling so badly, she fundamentally collapsed while sewing. She basically passed out, and she was soon awoken by someone saying that a large bundle had arrived for her onto the ship. Immediately when she was awoken, she knew, she simply knew, it's the answer. God has finally answered all of the prayers of her heart. She knew that she knew that she knew the answer had come. She ran and she found a letter attached to a bundle from a female missionary from the China Inland Mission. The missionary's husband was actually working tirelessly to help women missionaries from the China Inland Mission escaped from the Boxer Rebellion. So her husband was at great risk. 
But the woman missionary sends a letter stating that her little son some months before had died, and she felt it laid upon her heart to send Rosalind her son's baby clothes. She just knew that God had put it on her heart to send her these clothes. So Rosalind writes these words, I opened the bundle to find not only a most beautiful, complete outfit for my little one, but also many other things I needed for myself and my other children besides. It was indeed one of the Lord's exceedingly abundant answers. Is it any wonder that those words written so long ago by the psalmist have always had a deep thrill of response in my heart? And Rosalind proceeds to quote Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. I want to read you guys Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. Listen, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. All of my beloved podcast listeners, can you please rejoice with me at the words of Psalm 116 verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Listen, the story may seem so insignificant. It's about clothes. But is it really? See, that story isn't about clothes. It's about a God who hears a terrified, hurting woman who's praying for the lives of her family. And that's going to be the story that we're studying today on Hagar. The title is Fear Not, For God Has Heard. And yes, your teacher today is already crying at the introduction. I cannot tell you how much I have learned just reading missionary biographies in preparing these messages for you all. These missionary biographies, I can't encourage you enough to just get reading the contemporary stories of men and women who have served faithfully and given their very lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message, the lesson, in a word for today, fear not, for God has heard. In my study given several weeks ago on Elroy, the name of God, which means the God who sees, I gave an in-depth background on Hagar. She was a throwaway, but how God saw her because that's his name. He is the God who sees. So I strongly encourage you to back up in the podcast and to listen to that message because it goes into much critical information on the first half of Hagar's story. I'm not going to reteach all of that right now. It would be very, very repetitive for really no reason. It's about five or six messages back in the podcast. So check that out. Elroy talks about the first half of Hagar's story. So I'm going to give you the other half right now, and we're going to begin with a quick glance back at Genesis 16 and verse 4. Now, this is when Hagar sees that she's conceived a child with Abraham when Sarah was unable to do so. And the passage notes that Sarai, her mistress, had become despised in her eyes. In other words, Hagar had begun to have contempt for Sarai in this moment. And I want to chew on that for a second. The phrase is despised in her eyes. The term literally means cursed. Sarai was cursed in Hagar's eyes. Think about that. This is the same term, my Bible students out there, and I know some of you really love digging in on this stuff. 
2 Samuel 16, the term is used of Shimei. Do you guys remember the descendant of Saul, Saul's house, who is sitting there cursing David out? David's on the run from Absalom, his son. David and his men are on the run. And this guy, Shimei, is cursing David out saying all kinds of stuff, throwing rocks, kicking dirt. And basically David's men are like, can we please go kill this fool? They want to go kill the fool. Well, that's that's my translation. <laughs> but David's men want to kill him. And David's like, let him curse. Maybe God is telling him to curse me. Let him curse. David's heart after God even revealed right there in letting Shimei curse. But the word curse there is the same one. Hagar is basically cursing Sarai. She's beginning to see herself as greater than Sarah because clearly the issue of conception, if Abraham is able to have a child with Hagar, then Sarah is not having a child. Guess what, Sarah? You're the problem, which feeds into Sarah's wrong thinking that God's holding out on her. The fact of the matter is it wasn't time yet for Sarah to have the baby. It's not that God is holding out on her. It's just not time yet. So here, a haughtiness has developed in Hagar. And it's critical to understand that while Hagar is a victim here, she's been used by Sarah and Abraham. She doesn't have a choice in this arrangement. Hagar is not sinless here. Having contempt and bitterness is wrong even when we are the hurt party. I want to say that again, and I'm speaking to all of us here. Having contempt and bitterness towards other people is wrong, even when we have been hurt and mistreated by other people. So let's talk about that for a second, because again, on rinse and repeat, we're trying to keep it real. We're trying to take the truths of scripture and apply them practically to everyday life. I know the words like contempt is not stuff we're saying in everyday language. I want to use a term like bitterness, okay? I want us to consider for a second, who are we bitter against? Or maybe even get more granular about it. Have you ever cursed someone in your heart? Ooh, now it's getting deeply personal. Have you ever cursed someone out in your heart? Maybe you didn't say the words out loud, but in your head. Ooh, have you ever felt that depth of bitterness towards someone? I'm going to venture to say... Some of us have, maybe many of us have. This is where Hagar is. And look, Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Notice that many become defiled. Many of us deal with bitterness. Many of us trip up on this root of bitterness. I might do a lanyap edition on bitterness. What do you think? We might need one. But let's call bitterness what it is. It's sin. We need to ask God to forgive us and to help us with those most difficult people and relationships in our lives. That's where Hagar is right now. But let's continue the scene from Genesis 16, because we know that Sarah deals harshly with Hagar, and Hagar proceeds to run from her presence, okay? She fled from her presence. That's what we learn in Genesis 16, verse 6. 
And I discuss in the podcast on El Roy that God sees her when she's on the run. But I want to stop for a moment and talk about when we run from our junk, because I didn't really get into that in the El Roy podcast, okay? Do we have a tendency to run from our stuff? See, sometimes I think we can run when we just can't take it anymore, okay? Like Hagar's doing here. She just couldn't take it with Sarah anymore, and she runs. And sometimes we are just running from God's call on our lives. Like, I don't think I can handle this. Um, God, you're calling me to this area of ministry. I just can't do it. And we have that pull on our hearts at church every week, every week, every week. And we're like, I'm not signing up for that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We're running from the calling much like Jonah did. Jonah ran in the other direction. And we know how that ended for him, right? Sometimes we're running from God's calling. Sometimes we're running from a threat because we're just plain scared. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Elijah running from Jezebel. He was afraid. A mighty man of God, but with a nature just like ours, the scripture said. He ran from Jezebel because he was afraid. Sometimes we run sheerly out of fear. And listen to me, you all out there. Sometimes we run from our families and from the traditions and the upbringing we just don't want to honor anymore. Listen, I grew up with this my whole life. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't know if I believe it anymore, just like the prodigal son did. Give me my inheritance and let me go live my way. I'm done with your way. I want to do it my way. That's what the prodigal son did. We can run for a a number of reasons, but what I love about the Word of God is that it gives us all of these very practical examples of running, like Hagar did, like Elijah did, like Jonah did, prodigal son did, like we do. Sometimes we run and we haven't even left the building. We detach. We run mentally. We escape mentally. We sit there, but we're running into our devices. We're running into our books. We're running while we're standing still. But if you notice, in every case, running is just not the answer. So often, God is exhorting us to slow down and take a moment, take a breath, sit with Him, sit with God, listen, listen to what He's telling you, and then turn around, repent. Repent, face the issue, and go in the power of his might. Don't think I'm belittling the difficulties and the things you're facing when I'm telling you running is not the answer. Many of us are facing some tough, tough stuff. I'm exhorting you rather to seek the Lord for wisdom on what to do, to get counsel instead of running. Now, while she's on the run, Hagar is giving God this name, El Roy, and it's probably one of the most notable parts of her story. But incredibly important is that it isn't the only time God sees Hagar, okay? Turn with me now to Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. Let's read this together. So the child grew and was weaned. Okay, the child here is Isaac. Okay, the child is Isaac. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw 
the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. So pause there. So the scene is that Isaac is weaned. He's most likely around three years old, most of the commentators are saying. And Ishmael is watching the scene. He's most likely, they're saying, around 17 years old. Some are saying 13 to 17 years old. I've heard a bunch of different things. So I probably have to do a closer study to get the ages correct. But if you're wondering how a teenager can be scoffing at his little half-brother who's three years old, then you haven't had kids, okay? We've had kids of that age range and stuff like this does go down, okay? So that's the scene of what you're looking at here. So let's read on. Verse 10, therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be the heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then he departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot, for she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, and she lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Okay, I want to point out a few critical lessons here. The first is God still sees Hagar. He saw her under the first tree in Genesis 16 when she gave him the name El Roy, and he sees her and hears her again now. He reminds her of his great promise, and I want you to know that God's in the business of keeping his promises. Ishmael does go on to become a great nation. See, one of Ishmael's daughter later marries Esau, Ishmael's nephew, as we learn in Genesis 28, verse 9. Now, sadly, the people that result are the Ishmaelites who are ultimately hostile to Israel and to God. And we learn some of that in Psalm 83, okay? But the point ultimately is that God does keep his promise to Hagar and to her son. And listen to me, that faithfulness to keep his promises is not based on our perfection. Remember, Hagar showed Sarah contempt. She cursed Sarah. Remember, she ran from Sarah. So she wasn't perfect in the story, and still God was faithful to keep his promise to Hagar and to Ishmael. What great hope this should give all of us, because we are not perfect, and his fulfillment of his promises to us is not based on our perfection. 
If you're walking around saying, well, my kid now is always going to be out there and a prodigal because I made mistakes. No, his faithfulness to the promises is not based on your perfection. Listen, moment of honest truth here. I am a mess sometimes. I don't always rely on the Lord. I speak angry words. I fall short. We all do. Thank God he's a faithful God. We judge him faithful who has promised. That's what was spoken of Sarah in Hebrews 11.11. The second lesson I want you to note here, and it's the title of this whole Bible study, notice the key words in the second half of verse 17 and in verse 18. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise. Listen, fear not for God has heard. The first time Hagar encountered God, he saw her. This time, he hears her. In both cases, the takeaway is this, fear not. See, our human tendency is to give up and to say, I just can't do this. It's to quit, it's to run, or worse. Listen, I talked to you guys just now about the instances when we run and we do all this stuff. I said sometimes we can run in our own heads and be sitting still or standing still and we're still running. But I have seen in discipling some young people, I'm seeing an alarming trend to romanticize talk of self-harm, of suicide, of playing games with drugs and other things, like somehow we are running and escaping and experimenting because of our desire to say, I can't do this anymore. God says no to all of that. His words are fear not. See, the enemy says fear and quit. God says, fear not, I heard you, arise. Do you see the difference? The enemy wants you to fear and then, okay, now what are you going to do when you're afraid? Here, use this. Here, cut. Here, suicide. You have to be able to discern the voice of the Lord. He doesn't want you to walk in fear. And the words I love most about our God is that his words, fear not, are followed by, for God has heard. That's the anchor that is really holding our spirits when they're adrift in the midst of fear and anxiety and worry. God hearing us kept Rosalind amidst the turmoil in China, and God hearing kept Hagar amidst the running when she was pregnant and amidst the chaos when she and Ishmael are kicked out. And it's what is keeping us when God right now, he's hearing us right now where we are. Listen, just telling people, don't be afraid, don't worry, be happy as the song goes. It's meaningless. It's a cliche. If I could just fear not and not worry, I would have. Thank you very much. It's anchored because I know that God has heard me. Like we just read in Psalm 116 at the beginning of this podcast. 
Consider the words in Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. See, again, we're not to be afraid and it's anchored by God. You see that? It's not fear not, period. It's anchored by, for the Lord your God, he goes with you. Or how about the one we all know well, Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Wait for it, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hello. The Lord is with you. That's why you don't have to be afraid. Again, the reason we don't have to fear is because God is with us. And that's the takeaway from Hagar's life. God heard her. He saw her. In fact, it's so great. Ishmael's very name means God hears. And no, with this fear not exhortation came a call to action, which is arise. Very often that's the case. Be anxious for nothing but pray. Give thanks. See, one commentator put it this way. Action conquers depression. It staves off defeat. It shakes off despair. It vanquishes discouragement. Listen to me. Fearing not almost always involves getting up. Being anxious. We just had our Lanyap edition where we were putting our thoughts on trial. And if you remember, I was saying, is it a lie? Is it true? And with that, then you have to take hold of a different set of thoughts and retrain your mind. And the third critical lesson, and perhaps the hardest to swallow lesson, Hagar is cast out. And sadly, Abraham does it with so few provisions for her. And really, you may wonder, how can a man who is so wealthy, he had so much wealth given to him when he left Pharaoh's house. He had so much wealth. How could he let her go with so little? Hear me, and this is hard. It's because Hagar and Ishmael are a type of the flesh, and God was building this for a New Testament typology for the rest of us. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. This is very, very important. Galatians 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. 
What is the point of what I just read you? From the very beginning, God saw Ishmael as a picture of the flesh of sin, and he had to be cast out, making no provisions for the flesh. That's why Abraham didn't give him any provisions, because it was a picture that God was building for the New Testament, for the church to understand these things. There is no peaceful coexistence, beloved, between the flesh and the spirit. There is none. Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Again, that was Romans 13, 14. The typology of the Old Testament is there for us. We're not to make the flesh comfortable. We're not to make it well-fed. We're to starve it. Don't feed it. Provisions are food. Don't feed it. That's why Abraham didn't give them anything to make them comfortable. God saw them. God met the promise. He didn't let them starve, but Abraham was told not to. See, in this whole story, I pray that you see the very sovereignty of God's hand because he wasn't just building the story there in the Old Testament. He was building the story into the New Testament, pointing to the church, to you and to me, and to what these pictures mean for us now, making no provision for the flesh. Wow, what incredible lessons from the life of Hagar. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Rinse and Repeat. Again, I'm your host, Carol Iscaros. It's been such a joy to have you along as we are journeying through these lessons on the women of the Bible. You can learn more about me, about the podcast, about more about our ministry at www.caroliscaros.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. There you can learn more again about me personally. You can reach me through the website. I would love to hear feedback about the program and answer any questions that you may have. As always, I invite you to check back over the podcast if you've missed any of the previous ones. We have gone through, of course, the names of God, many of the women of the Bible. You can check out my testimonies, several Lanyap editions. And as we're continuing on in the women of the Bible, we're going to take a look at Lot's wife and daughters. That's going to be a hard lesson coming up on not looking back. And we are very, very excited about some upcoming good news coming out of Rinse and Repeat and its associated ministry. So be on the lookout for all of that. And thank you again for joining us. I can't wait till next time here on Rinse and Repeat. Repeat.